Welcome to episode 81 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Brenda, Becky, and Michelle. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Brenda, Becky, and Michelle for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. We are told in the program that we didn't cause it, we can't cure it, and we can't control it. The three C's capture our powerlessness. But what does this mean for us, and what does it mean for the ones we love who are caught in this disease? If you want to share your experience or your questions, call right now, 734-707-8795, and leave a message, or you can use the voicemail button on the website, therecoveryshow.com. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of the three C's. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them, take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your solo host today. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show is the discussion of the topic, The Three C's. Following a short break, we'll talk about uh, life in recovery, about what's happening in my meetings and in my life. And we'll finish up with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast. Our readings today come from the Step 1 discussions in the two books, how Al-Anon works, and Paths to Recovery. I'm going to start with the uh, a little section from Paths to Recovery. It says, In Al-Anon meetings, we hear the three C's describing our powerlessness over alcoholism. We didn't cause it, can't cure it, and can't control it. We begin to learn the basic Al-Anon premise of taking our focus off of the alcoholic and keeping the focus on ourselves. Hard as it is to look at our own part in our problems, acceptance of step one brings relief from impossible responsibilities. We were trying to fix a disease, and someone else's disease at that. And uh, in the uh, the step one reading in How Al-Anon Works, it starts out, each of our lives has been devastated by someone else's drinking. We cannot change that fact. We have been profoundly affected by the disease of alcoholism. Its effects continue to permeate our lives. Nor can we change the behavior or the attitudes of those around us. We can't even put a stop to the drinking. We are powerless over alcohol. So the three C's, again, um, we didn't cause it. We can't cure it, and we can't control it. I think they're stated in that order uh, for a good reason, which is some of us came in uh, to Al-Anon, some of us come into Al-Anon, believing that we had some part in the development of our loved one's alcoholism. I think this is particularly true for those of us who are parents of alcoholics or addicts. Uh, and, you know, I'm not in that category, but I have heard uh, from many of my friends who, who do have children who struggle with drug use, alcohol use, that they feel like if only they'd been a better parent, that their children might not be in this, in this bind, uh, that their children might be, you know, healthy and happy and normal, as it were. And for those of my friends who are themselves alcoholics or addicts, they feel like their genetics contributed to to their children being being alcoholics or addicts and and this is i think difficult um i know that that i've talked to friends who who say they they have struggled with this that you know they feel like it is their fault because you know they're an alcoholic or their parents were alcoholic and they passed this down to their children and therefore it's their fault in the sense that you know their children's height their children's hair color their children's eye color uh, various other characteristics are inherited, uh, just as the the susceptibility to addiction or alcoholism appears to be inherited. We can't control our children's genetics, and and I'm pretty grateful for that. Uh, I don't know if I had had the ability to to choose what I got for children. You know, I wouldn't end up with the the wonderful children that I have now. And what we get, we get the whole. We get the whole mix, 
you know, and and in that mix, there's maybe some things that that we're not happy about. There may be some things that our children are not happy about, but we don't have that control. We don't have the control to. We don't even have the control to decide, you know, what what sex our children are going to be. Uh, why do we think that we can control whether they might be susceptible to something like alcoholism? So we we didn't cause it. In my case, in my case, you know, the 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 alcoholic in my life is my wife. So I didn't have that genetic connection, but um, I could feel that, you know, I I had a hobby uh, of making beer. I was a home brewer, and I don't know if I felt like the fact that there was lots of beer in the house contributed to her alcoholism. She preferred wine, in fact. Um, so I don't think I had a really strong feeling of having caused it. Uh, in fact, sometimes there, w- there was a time at which I felt that, uh, you know, the real problem was how much money she was spending uh, on wine. And so I thought, well, maybe I should start making wine. And maybe if I had done that, I would have then eventually felt like I had a much stronger contribute contribution to uh, to the development of her alcoholism. I don't know. It's a good question. So I wasn't really, wasn't really, uh, um, didn't feel too much that I had caused it. Um, but I, I think I did feel that I had contributed to it. Um, you know, we would drink together and I would um, bring home, you know, interesting bottles of wine or, or something and we would share them. And, and so I think there was some feeling there that, you know, in doing that, I was at least encouraging her to drink. And and I came to understand that, um, you know, whatever I did, uh, at least in the long run, whatever I did or didn't do, uh, that was her path. That was her path to follow. And and she was going to, and, and when it came to the time where I started uh, trying to control it, of course, I, I discovered that uh, pretty, pretty well. Um, the second C, we can't cure it. And I really feel like this this comes second because the third one, we can't control it. Well, maybe if we can't cure it, maybe we can still control it. And so I think control comes comes third because of that. But, um, you know, I, I remember that I, I, I didn't really want my wife to stop drinking because, of course, that would affect my life, you know, because... Uh, when we went out, I wouldn't be able to have a, a glass of wine or a glass of beer with dinner. And, you know, that was my pattern. I would have one. Uh, and if we got a bottle, I would have a glass and she would drink the rest of it. Uh, you know, that's how it is. And maybe maybe she'd order, order some more too, eventually. Um, so, you know, I didn't necessarily want to cure her, but I did want her to, to I, no, I didn't want her to stop drinking. I just wanted her to drink normally. And I think that that's a, an illusion of, of cure, right? If if your alcoholic uh, can just use alcohol normally, um, if your marijuana addict can, you know, have a joint every now and then and, and then let go of, you know, for the rest of the week when they have to be alert for work or whatever. Um, I think we all have, we all have had those thoughts. Uh, I know I have and most of the people that I've talked to have, have had those thoughts, you know. And, and I know that, uh, you know, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's a, uh, page 30 or 31, if I remember correctly, is a discussion of the, the great illusion um, of all alcoholics, which is that they can drink normally. And so we all have this illusion. We all have this, this vision that, you know, whether we're the alcoholic or whether it's our loved one, that maybe they can just drink normally. And that would be a cure, right? Um, the, the, the problems would be gone. We would go back to, you know, enjoying life in the way that we used to, and we wouldn't have to make big, painful changes. That would be wonderful. Um, I spent a lot of energy uh, trying to figure out how uh, to get my wife to drink normally, and, and none of that worked. But I kept trying. I kept trying. And finally, the third C, we can't control it. Well, maybe if we can't you know, cure, this, uh, cure this affliction, maybe we can, we can keep it under control. Maybe we can uh, control how much alcohol comes into the house. Maybe we can, tr- can control... Um, whether our alcoholic is able to go out and, and, and drink or to go out and buy alcohol and bring it home, uh, you know, by, by keeping an eye on the, the amount that's drunk and, and by reminding our loved one, I won't say nagging, reminding, right? 
uh, how much they drink, and that that's really not normal. I mean, you know, surely, surely they would understand. Surely they would understand that, oh, this is not normal. I need to, to stop doing this, and, and then they would stop doing it. And uh, I don't know about your experience, but my experience is that didn't work. Totally was not working for me. And 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 I would get reminded of this uh, from time to time, that uh, that there was no control. There was really no control. And and when I tried to control, and I think I've told the story of of when we were traveling, and I I managed to arrange things so there was no alcohol available uh, at the end of the day. Um, and I'll just say that the the consequences uh, that evening and the next day were were not pleasant. Um, my my uh, my loved one was at the point in her illness where uh, her body needed a certain amount of alcohol every day or um, it it reacted and it did not react uh, in a way that was pleasant for her nor very pleasant for those around her um, so uh yeah illusion of control not happening so i first heard about the 3 c's let me rephrase that. The first time that I remember hearing the three C's, and I say that, I'll come back to the, to the, to the occasion in a moment. I say that because my loved one had been trying to stop or cut back on her drinking, and she had attended at least two outpatient programs um, before the, the, the time when, when I heard, really heard the three C's. And each of those programs had friends and family uh, programs that uh, we were asked to to attend, and um, you know I would do would have done pretty much anything to to fix her, and so I came to the friends and family programs, and I think that they must have told us that we couldn't cure it, we couldn't control it, maybe that we didn't cause it. And I don't know if they said it in those exact words or not. And sometimes the the form of the words is important. You know, three C's, right? Cause, control, cure, cause, cure, control, whatever. Uh, Makes it easier to remember. But I'm sure that I had heard that message, that that I couldn't fix it for her. She had to fix it for herself. She, maybe she and her higher power, she and her doctors or whatever. Um, I'm sure that was said to me. Let's be clear. That was said to me. What's equally clear is that I did not hear it to understand it in those in those earlier days. Maybe denial was still strong in me, not sure. So there I was, sitting in a classroom at a treatment center, at a friends and family day, again. And I thought, do I really need to be here? I'm sure I've heard all this stuff before. Well, maybe I had, maybe I hadn't. Because what I heard that day, a guy standing up at the front of the room and he said, here are the three C's, and this is not an exact quote, but it's close enough. Here are the three C's. You did not cause this disease. You did not cause your loved one's alcoholism. You cannot cure your loved one's alcoholism or addiction. And you cannot control it. The three C's. Didn't cause it. Can't cure it can't control it. And really, as I remember it, in that moment, I felt a weight come off of me. The weight of trying to fix my loved one's disease by you know, convincing her that, that this was not the right thing to do. You know, try to convince someone not to you know, have the flu. Or try to convince someone that, oh, no, you're not schizophrenic. You can just act normally. Um, anyway, I heard those three C's. I felt, I felt this weight come off of me. I felt this lightness that I had not had in I don't know how long, maybe ever. Um, you know, because I've always been trying to fix somebody. That's my disease. Um, I'm addicted to, to people's, other people's problems. Somebody else has a problem. I want to jump in and fix it that, you know. That's my addiction. Uh, and uh, Al-Anon has, uh, has provided me a, a path out of that addiction, which most days I managed to take. So I heard those three C's, and, 
You know, you hear those words and you might think that means it's hopeless. But I didn't feel it that way. Somehow I felt it that 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 put some that put some hope back into my life that maybe that because I had been trying to do something that wasn't mine to be able to do um, that now maybe there was something I could do that was mine. I didn't know exactly what that was. Uh, but that day, that afternoon, I decided that that maybe maybe I should try this Al-Anon thing that had been suggested, I remember, and previous friends and family programs say, saying, you should go to Al-Anon, and me thinking, yeah, bloody hell, I'm not going to Al-Anon. Uh, those 12 steps, no siree. And it's not my problem, it's her problem. And I think that that hearing the three C's stripped, stripped that particular objection. No, it's not my problem. Her disease is not my problem. But the way I feel, the way I react, the way I'm living my life in response to her disease, that is my problem. And I certainly didn't see it with that amount of clarity, but I did see that if I couldn't fix her disease and I was miserable, then maybe I could do at least do something for myself. And maybe that something was to go to Al-Anon. I went to my first meeting that night. I think I've told this story before, but I was in the car, driving on the highway back home from the treatment center, and I called a friend. Yes, I made a cell phone call from my moving car on the highway. I was desperate, and it wasn't illegal uh, in my state at the time. I think actually making a phone call is still not illegal. Texting certainly is. I called a friend who I thought was in AA. I knew he had stopped drinking, somebody I used to make beer with and drink with. And I called him and I said, hey, do you know anything about Al-Anon meetings? He said, uh, yes. In fact, there's a really good one tonight uh, near my house. And I could introduce you to some people if you want to go. And I said, okay, thanks. I'll think about it. And I hung up. And almost immediately redialed the phone and said, yes, I would like that. Thank you. So I went to my first Al-Anon meeting that night. So in a very real way, the hearing the three C's got me to Al-Anon. And, you know, it took a while longer for me to really understand and accept the powerlessness that the three C's meant for me. But I, I also believe that in, in a very real way, that afternoon, at that moment when I felt that weight come off of me, this is the, the time that I took the first step in my heart, that I really admitted my powerlessness and, and accepted the, the hope that that powerlessness gave me. And it does seem like a paradox that being powerless can, can give hope, but that's the only way I can really describe it. And then going to the meeting and, and finding you know, other fellow sufferers, if you will, finding that I was not alone and, and seeing that there were people who had lived, maybe were still living with the things I was living with, and that these people were not miserable. Uh, that, that certainly gave hope. But how else, how else could I feel lighter without having also found some hope in my life, found a different path, or at least found the possibility of a different path? Maybe that's, maybe that's a better way to put it. I'm not going to say that from that moment on, I stopped trying to control my wife's drinking because that would be a lie. Um, that the the travel incident that I talk about talked about uh, actually no that that came before I was in the program that was in two thousand one because we went to New York City in in August of two thousand one is when that happened and and the the Twin Towers uh, the World Trade Center was still standing at that point and I didn't come into recovery until two thousand two but even even after accepting my powerlessness even after uh, saying okay. I'm, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop here. I'm going to let go. 
It's not that easy. You can't just say, I'm going to let go and let go. At least not if you're still living uh, with your with your loved one who is in their active addiction. Uh, but uh, I knew... I knew in my heart that whatever efforts I took to to control were not going to avail anything except to uh, probably make her mad and to uh, frustrate me, at best frustrate. Uh, and so that gave me that gave me sort of a place to stand to to say I'm I'm going to act differently. Uh, you know how much. She drinks whether she drinks is really hers, hers to under, hers to control or not control, um, hers to uh, hers to fix. So I think the these uh, you know cause didn't cause can't cure can't control. I mean they really express a lot of the powerlessness that that we have that you know that we uh, cannot change. The actions and the attitudes of those around us. We can't put a stop to the drinking, as the uh, as the reading from how Alan Works says. So maybe if you're still struggling with uh, a loved one who is in active addiction, maybe you can take a look at those three C's and see how you feel that you've contributed or caused. Addiction and and try to understand how, in fact, that is not that is not true. That their their addiction comes from their actions and their choices and who they are, and not from anything that that you did. If you're trying to cure or control somebody's drinking or drugging, take a really honest look at how effective your efforts have been or whether in fact they've made the situation at least harder to live in maybe causing resentment maybe causing anger maybe causing you to be really frustrated maybe causing um, you to be angry and resentful and think about how different your life could be if you accept that your efforts to control or cure the disease are, are ineffective and think about how you could put the amount of energy that is going into these control cure efforts, if you could put all that energy into instead making your, your life better, how would that be for you? How would that be? I know that when I was able to let go and focus on my own recovery, focus on changing the things that I actually had some control over, you know, Al-Anon gave me the tools and the courage to change the things I could. And it gave me also the tools to recognize some of the things that I could not change and a way to come to serenity to be able to accept those things that I could not change. And it started for me, it really started for me with those three C's. I did not cause it. I cannot cure it. And I cannot control it. And that, that was a message of hope for me. That was the, the, the first step on, on my path to recovery. And brought me to a place where I could be with my loved one, as she struggled still with her alcoholism, with her drinking. And for me to be able to be there, to have enough strength and serenity to, to stay in that situation and until she found her path, as she did, um, to, uh, to her own recovery and her own sobriety, started with the three C's. I don't think I would be here today if it wasn't for them. So as I uh, explained in episode 79, we're no longer playing copyrighted music in this show itself, but we're publishing a playlist for each episode on the website. You can listen to the music I've selected for this episode at therecoveryshow.com slash 81. And one of the songs on that playlist uh, is Powerless by Ashley Wells. And uh, 
Well, the song, the, the title of the song says a lot here. Okay, um, I p- picked out some lyrics that kind of capture um, the way I felt before I really accepted that I, I had no control, I had no cure. Well, it's nine o'clock on Friday. You okay? I step in some crisis tonight. You know everything's just the same, but that's the pain of living a life you don't like. I had enough of this. I know I'm powerless, and you know there, there it is. Um, she's found it. After a short break, we will continue with uh, our lives in recovery section of the podcast where I talk about my meetings and what's happening in my life of recovery. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week, or in my meetings and in my life this week. And uh, yesterday... Yesterday morning, Saturday, uh, one of my regular meetings, I got up just feeling not like I wanted to go to a meeting. And how many times have I said, have I heard it said that if you don't want to go to a meeting, that's the time when you need to go to a meeting. And, you know, those words like popped up in my head and I was like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, but I don't want to go. I don't feel like it. I just don't want to. But I went, you know, and I'm really glad I did (laughs) because I heard some things I needed to hear. Our topic for the meeting was step six, and about we talked a lot about this sort of becoming entirely ready part. And as a friend of mine says, you know, I'm never entirely ready for anything. I'm not never entirely ready for dinner. How can I be entirely ready to have all my defects of character removed? But, um, you know, I realized that one of the, the readings for step six in the, in the Past to Recovery book talks about looking at if we're not ready to let go of a particular uh, character trait, looking at uh, what is our payoff? Why do we still, why do we still want this trait? Uh, And what's the pain, you know? And, and as I said, usually the pain is obvious and maybe I have to dig a little bit for the payoff. Why am I still doing this thing that causes me pain? And, and there are some, there's, there's some things in my life right now that are causing me pain. And, and that reminded me that um, if I'm not ready to let go of them and, and I think, I must not be because they're still there. Um, and these are things like things in myself that are causing me pain, not external factors. Okay, let's make that clear. Can't let go of external factors. Um, and uh, missed Wednesday night, uh, meaning um, I didn't have transportation and I was feeling lazy. Um, and a friend's band was playing uh, at the, at the Amar- Ann Arbor Art Fair, so I went to, went to hear that instead. But uh, in my life... I was reflecting actually yesterday morning about gratitude, about gratitude for recovery, because on Monday, which is the day after I'm recording this podcast, my wife and I will be celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary. And I am pretty sure that we would not be celebrating 30 years married if I had not found Al-Anon. I don't think, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know, but I don't think I could have stood out the next year and a half, two and a half years uh, from when I came to Al-Anon until she found her current long-term sobriety. I don't think I really could have stood that uh, without what this program has given me. And I am so grateful to have found recovery. I'm, I'm really grateful that we've both found recovery. Uh, but we, without, without that, and without my recovery, uh, we would not be celebrating 30 years married uh, tomorrow. And I look at that, and I'm like, 30 years, wow. <laughs> you know, how's that happen? <laughs> and and re- the real answer to that is one day at a time. Uh, and recognizing, and, you know, when you get married, at least when I got married, um, I didn't think that we were going to go through this trauma of addiction? Why would I expect that? Uh, he, he, there's these words in the, in the traditional wedding ceremony, and we, I'm sure, had some words like them, you know, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. Uh, and you say those things, and maybe you think you mean them, but the real test comes when that happens. And I don't think I had the strength by myself to be there in sickness for so long, uh, for so long, until I found this program of recovery. 
until I found the 12 steps that really enabled me um, to find myself to be able to, um, you know, be my own support to not need um, another person to, to make me happy. I still like other people to make me happy. You know, we're not perfect. We claim progress, not perfection. But 30 years, wow, one day at a time. One day at a time and commitment. Um, not running away when, when things got, got hard. Um, and, you know, a couple of episodes, a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about stay or go. And when I say running away, you know, I, I am not um, in any way trying to, to say that people who make the really hard decision to leave relationship with an alcoholic or addict, uh, that those people are running away. I, I do not mean that. Uh, I'm just looking at myself. Uh, and my tendency to to run away from conflict. I I do not enjoy conflict. I do not enter into conflict. I am conflict avoidant. Uh, and and if there's some way for me to to run away, I will. And uh, you know, but but I chose not to. I chose not to run away. I chose I chose to stay for as long as I could and. And Al-Anon gave me the ability to stay for as long as I needed to. So 30 years, one day at a time. It's recovery for you. So we got some um, upcoming topics here that uh, haven't really decided uh, which one, which week yet. But here's some, some topics that I'm thinking about covering. Uh, first one is, is uh, about caretaking versus, versus um, being a support in a healthy way for um, for anybody in your life, really, whether you know it's your children, um, your loved one who's an addict or alcoholic, uh, somebody who's sick, uh, just somebody who you feel like you got to save them. You know, uh, what is caretaking? Uh, what is healthy support? How do we know the difference? Uh, so uh, that 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 should be an interesting one. Uh, somebody asked us to uh, to talk about suffering. You know, do we have to suffer? And I'm going to rephrase that question slightly. Uh, sometimes we say pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Well, what does that mean? And how do we get there? What does it mean for us? And how does the program help us uh, not suffer from, from the painful things in our lives? Also, August is coming up, so we're going to be talking about Tradition 8. Tradition 8 says, Al-Anon 12-step work should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. And, uh, you know, so what does that mean in our groups? What does that mean for us as individuals in the LNM program? Uh, and how can we take that idea and apply it to our lives outside of a uh, 12-step program? So we welcome your thoughts. Uh, please join the conversation. Leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or your questions about any of these upcoming topics, any or all of them, or other topics that you're interested in. And you can do that. You can uh, call. Call right now if you want. Leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. That's right. Call right now, 734-707-8795, or use the voicemail button on the website uh, and join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send us email. That address is feedback at com. We'd really love to hear from you, share your experience, strength, and hope, or your question about today's topic of the three C's or next uh, the upcoming topics that uh, I talked about, the uh, caretaking, suffering, Tradition 8. Um, if you have a different topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know, because uh, I like to pick topics that, that people have suggested uh, because it means at least one person out there wants to hear about it. And it also is, probably means that more than one of you wants to hear about it. So... You can find out everything you need to know at our website, uh, everything you need to know about the podcast anyway. Obviously not everything, everything. Uh, you, for that, you want like Wikipedia, right? Yeah. Anyway, our website, which is therecoveryshow.com, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode. You'll find the notes for this episode at therecoveryshow.com slash 81. Uh, we have uh, meditations occasionally posted. We have links to the music we play uh, in the show notes. And there's some links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. 
So uh, hop on over to therecoveryshow.com. And if you want to recommend The Recovery Show to a friend, just uh, send them to therecoveryshow.com. And if you'd really like to join our conversation, I mean, literally, you could consider being a guest host. Uh, We can host you by phone or Skype or FaceTime or uh, whatever uh, works for you, probably works for us. If you're interested, uh, email feedback at therecoveryshow.com. We can do sort of a short uh, discussion or interview, or we can uh, do a whole show together. Whatever works for you uh, works for me. So uh, I'm going to take a little break here and uh, talk about another song on the uh, playlist for this episode at therecoveryshow.com slash 81. This is by The Coors. It's called What Can I Do? And uh, this song asks uh, a bunch of, of questions. What can I do to make you dot, dot, dot? Can I make you, what can I do to make you love me? What can I do to make you care, et cetera, et cetera? And then it answers those questions uh, pretty well with these lyrics. It says, no more waiting, no more aching, no more fighting, no more trying. Maybe there's nothing more to say, and in a funny way, I'm calm because the power is not mine. I'm just going to let it fly, and, and there we are. You know, didn't cause it, can't cure it, can't control it. It's not my power. I'm going to let it go, and that's, that's what I can do. Welcome back, and we've got a couple of emails and a voicemail today. Uh, Michelle wrote, she says, Hi, Spencer and guests. I just started listening to your show, and I love it. It was recommended to me by a recovery friend who is an Al-Anon as well as ACA, which is my main program. I'm an organic farmer and spend countless hours by myself weeding and planting. Your show has been an inspiration to me in more ways than I can express, and it helps me with my new goal for my recovery, which is being present and connected at all times. Listening to you while working alone for long hours in the field helps me stay connected with myself, my program, and you guys as others in recovery. I'm so grateful. Have you ever thought about doing a show on how specific events from our childhood are present in our lives now and how to recognize those triggers? Forgive me if you have, as I'm still catching up, albeit very quickly. Keep up the great work, and thank you so much. Michelle from uh, British Columbia, Canada. And and thanks for the uh, the kind words, Michelle. And um, I'm glad that we're able to provide you with some company, uh, some connection while you're you're out there in the field. Uh, uh, I was listening recently to a, a podcast about podcasting because that's obviously one of my interests, and I'm always learning. And there he talked about another podcaster he had talked to who uh, is a farmer and and does a podcast about farming. And I'm I'm afraid I can't remember the name of it right now. But her episodes are like between two and three hours long. He said, how can you, <laughs> don't people get bored and, and go away? She said, no, I spend all day on a tractor. Um, and so do my listeners. And we have long, long, long blocks of time to fill. And so um, I understand. And, and I'm sure that, you know, I can see how you're, you're getting through the, uh, the recovery show episodes uh, quickly if uh, you're spending hours and hours out in the field which I'm sure has its own rewards. Um, you know, your topic suggestion, I mean, that's, that's a, a really interesting suggestion. It's not one that I think is going to be easy for me to dra- address myself. I, I'm going to need to find some uh, some friends who, you know, m- maybe are, are ACA uh, or, or qualified because, um, I don't know, you know, I'm sure there are events in my childhood that, that, uh, that I still have triggers about. Um, maybe just not as much as um, people who grew up in an alcoholic home, uh, but it, it's a great topic idea. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll get out there and see if I can find some people to help me with that topic, and maybe we can do it short, in, in a little while. But it, you know, it's going to take a little more prep than than a normal show, just because of finding finding people who can really speak to the question. So thanks, Lisa. Uh, wrote with a question about service work, and this actually is related to a recent episode of the Recovered podcast in which I participated, and that episode was about service. And so she starts out, Hi, Mark and Spencer, um, because Mark is uh, a host on the Recovered podcast, right? Thanks for the most recent podcast on the Recovered podcast about chairing meetings. I really appreciate the AA and Al-Anon perspective together. 
One thing guest host Spencer said at one point in the podcast really interested me. He said that he learned through the program to be able to help others in a healthy way. I was wondering if you have any specific literature recommendations uh, about service work in Al-Anon on this subject. I have lots of literature, but I always appreciate recommendations. I listen to the Recovery Show and Recovered podcasts and attend Al-Anon and Codependence Anonymous meetings. The recent podcast about AA versus Al-Anon was very helpful, too. And uh, yeah, that was an interesting one. I, I listened to that episode. Uh, and I think, you know, Mark put AA versus Al-Anon as sort of a, a teaser there. Uh, because most of the discussion really was about the ways in which the two programs are very similar, that, that the way in which we work the program at least is very similar, and the principles of the programs are very similar. Um, there was some, some interesting discussion about, about the difference, and in fact, um, I think that was partly what I was responding to when I made my remarks um, in the Recovered podcast episode about service, where one of the differences that the uh, that the participants in the in the AA versus Al-Anon episode identified was that in AA um, new members in particular are told very strongly to get out of themselves and to to do service um, to be there for other people uh, and uh, in Al-Anon in, we tend to come in um, wanting to do too much for other people wanting to do everything for other people. That's where our enabling comes from. That's where a lot of um, our character traits are, are lie. Speaking at least for myself, I know that's true. And so in Al-Anon, we have to be a little more careful about, about service work and about being realistic about how much work we do and being realistic about how we do it and being realistic about exactly what we do. Uh, and that, uh, you know, so we have to, I think, one of the things that that is important early, particularly early in Al-Anon, is to take um, take the experience. Um, I'm not going to say advice. Take the experience of longer time members about doing service and and follow their their guidelines. Um, and you know, Lisa, I I read this and I thought, yeah, I have to go look at the literature. And uh, you know, I'm sorry to say, I I have not um, found specific stuff. I mean, if for people who are really interested in getting into service in Al-Anon in a, um, a more than just the meeting way, um, or perhaps in, you know, being a secretary or chair of a meeting, depending on what that means for your meeting, uh, treasurer, uh, the, uh, there is a Al-Anon Alateen service handbook, which um, there are at least uh, recent versions of that seem to be available online. You can go look at that. It's very um, sort of procedural about you know how do you how do you start a meeting? What are what are things you should know when 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 you want to start a new meeting, uh, including uh, about naming it. What about finances? How 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 should you handle your finances in a meeting? Uh, what's a prudent reserve? I don't think they actually say what a prudent reserve is, but they suggest you should you should have one. Uh, maybe a couple months rent and so so on. Um, so the the about specifics and and about specifics about how Anon works at the group level and at the uh, the national and international level are are all in the service handbook. But if you're looking for guidance about you know um, having healthy boundaries about what we do uh, in service, what we do in support of other people, um, that's that's an ongoing <laughs> it's an ongoing struggle for most of us, I think, and. Uh, you know, there's stuff about that scattered throughout the literature. I would say, um, I know that we touched on it in our Tradition 7 episode last week uh, about, uh, you know, taking care of our own stuff. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, you know, read about sponsorship. Uh, I think learning to be a sponsor is, and being a sponsor, and learning by doing, so have a good sponsor when you do it. So that when you're not sure, call your sponsor. Um, learning from example. I mean, that's the way I've learned in this program is learning from example. But but being a sponsor, um, for me, I have to really keep a very clear boundary between what's mine and what is my sponsee's and um, really sit on my uh, my urge, my tendency to, to get in there and... 
uh, try to fix things for my sponsee, try to tell my sponsee what, what to do, uh, and instead to, to just share my own understanding, my own experience, and say, this is, this is what I know, this is what worked for me, uh, this may or may not work for you. Uh, and, it, you know, it's been a lot of practice, and, and I'm still not excellent at it, I'm sure. Um, you know, the other example I think I had there, uh, and again, I've talked about this before, was when uh, my son uh, was struggling with some mental health issues uh, at college and needed somebody to be there um, to help him while he dealt with uh, consequences of some actions that he had taken as a result of these issues. And and I flew to Arizona, uh, 2,000 miles for a week, uh, to provide him with things he could not provide for himself. Uh, he needed a place to live because he'd been um, suspended from since from school and was not allowed to come back on campus, and he lived in a dorm on campus, so he needed a place to live. Um, he needed transportation because having been living on campus, he, I think he basically walked everywhere. He did not drive. He did not have a bicycle. And, uh, you know, he needed food because, again, living in the dorm, uh, he was on a food plan. He got food at the dorm. Uh, and so I could provide those things for him, along with maybe some emotional support. He had to deal with getting his suspension um, revoked. He had to deal with uh, some legal consequences of what he had done. Uh, he had to deal with setting up uh, continuing psychiatric care. He had to deal with finding a new place to live because... One of the consequences was uh, that he had a, a no-contact restraining order from uh, another person who lived in the same dorm that he lived in, and so he couldn't live in the dorm anymore. He had to do those things. I did, I, I did not do those things for him. And to me, there's a difference between, um, you know, an upcoming topic here, caretaking versus giving support. Um, you know, I didn't try to fix his problems for him, mostly. I, I, I had a little relapse, and I, I did... Um, call one of the people at the university uh, and leave a message saying, hey, I thought we were going to hear from you a couple of days ago. What's up? You know, call us. Let us know what's up. Uh, and that person uh, obviously had healthier boundaries than me and did not call me back, um, but did call my son eventually with, uh, and, and in a timely fashion. I mean, it eventually implies that there was, there was a real delay, and I don't think there was a real delay. They just weren't able to um, you know, make their decision as quickly as maybe she had implied or I thought she had implied. Okay. So yeah, service versus, um, you know, supporting versus controlling, uh, et cetera, uh, versus taking over. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that helps. Hope, hopefully. Um, at Lisa finished. Thanks as always for the podcast. They're a great resource. Well, thank you, Lisa. Um, I know it helps me to do them and, uh, and it really, you know, keeps keeps me going um, to to know that they're helping other people. Uh, we got a short voicemail from Akila. Hi, Spencer. This is Akila. I'm calling about the Tradition Seven episode. The other thing I like about Tradition Seven is that it also reminds me to not do things for others that they can do for themselves. Every group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. All right. Thank you. Bye. And there we go. Tradition seven, um, do not do things for other people they can do for themselves. Thanks, Akila. So I just wanted to give a, a quick shout out to a couple of other recovery podcasts. I mentioned Recovered a little while ago. Uh, Recovered is at recoveredcast.com. And it's actually the podcast that helped to inspire the creating the, the recovery show. Mark and his guests uh, talk about recovery topics, mostly from an AA perspective, sometimes with uh, NA or Al-Anon participation as well. Uh, and a second recovery podcast, Experience Strength and Hope Recovery at eshrecovery.com, is a new Al-Anon-focused recovery podcast. It has a rotating format with discussions, panel topics, meeting format, and open stories, so check that out. And my understanding is they're not yet in iTunes, but you can uh, find them at uh, eshrecovery.com. You can listen to the episodes there, or you can uh, subscribe. They have a subscribe button. Uh, subscribing your favorite podcatcher. So if you're looking for more about Recovery Online, uh, you might check them out. You can uh, listen live occasionally as we're recording. I'm doing that again today. 
And uh, I don't do that when I have uh, phone guests. Uh, the uh, the setup gets too complicated for me to, to figure it out. I will figure that out someday. But anyway, click on the Listen Live link at the top of the page if we're online, or you can um, click through uh, to Mixler.com and uh, follow us, and then you will get an email when when we go online. Try to record uh, about 2 o'clock Eastern time Sunday afternoons. That's, uh, well, it's Eastern Daylight Time right now, so it corresponds to, what, 18 Greenwich, 2, 14, plus 4, 18. 18 Greenwich, uh, if you're outside the U.S. Um, and uh, we'll do it as often as we can. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Brenda, Becky, and Michelle did. And thank you again, Brenda, Becky, and Michelle. And particularly thank you to Brenda and Becky for ongoing support. We've put together a list of recovery-related books, and you can... Click on the books link at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra, and it helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, including just listening to us. We are here for you. Before we close, I want to talk about one more song from the playlist. This song picks up on our topic, uh, but more from the perspective of um, the uh, our loved one. So Alanis Morissette, the song is Precious Illusions. And uh, these lyrics to me just like jumped out. You'll rescue me, right? In the exact same way they never did. I'll be happy, right? When your healing powers kick in. You'll complete me, right? Then my life can finally begin. And I feel like these are illusions that I had that I could do. I could rescue my loved one. I could make my loved one happy when my healing powers kicked in. I could complete my loved one. You know, there's this whole like romantic love thing. We complete each other. Um, we need to complete ourselves and then we can really be in a complete and healthy relationship. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. <laughs>